Dr. Bill Hart just read to us about the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, uh, his power and his glory, and we want to continue to talk about that a little bit this morning from this great uh, prophetic passage. Before we do, let's look to the Lord in prayer. Father in heaven, we ask you now to bless your word to our hearts. Father, we're talking here about things that are great and glorious concerning the Lord Jesus Christ. And Father, we confess our distraction, Lord, our weakness of mind. We are fully aware of the finiteness of our minds and the struggle we have to grasp wondrous things. Lord, we're hampered by all these things, and I pray that uh, as this message is delivered, that the one who stands in the pulpit might not further hamper the understanding of these things. But rather, Lord, you will work uh, through him, through your word, and bless us together by your spirit. Father, we are dependent upon you. We cannot make these things happen of our own accord. So, Lord, make yourself known among us this morning by blessing us through your word, through the preaching of your word. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Watching someone uh, striking fence posts this week, I was impressed by the fact that the woman doing the work was uh, able with a sledgehammer to move the post downward into the ground with each blow. Now, it was a TV program, so... Uh, I don't know if it was quite as impressive as it actually appeared to be, but I watched her, and as I did, I thought about how I sort of saw myself as that post for a moment, with the sledgehammer as the relentless stream of news that flows into our lives these days. It often feels like one hammer blow after another each one uh, driving us a little deeper into the ground. As ambassadors of the Lord Jesus Christ in this world, we are called on to be light in the darkness, to remember that the joy of the Lord is our strength, and that our Savior and our King will never leave us nor forsake us. We're to be lights of love and truth, even when the darkness is heavy and chokingly dense. Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 9, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. We're a people chosen to proclaim, to serve as ambassadors in this world. 
ambassadors of the light, of the truth, of the gospel, of God's eternal word. We're to be finding our joy in the Lord himself, even when other resources may seem to be drying up. The prophet Habakkuk declared in Habakkuk chapter 3 and verse 17 this, Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit beyond the vines, the produce of the oil fail, and the fields yield no food, the flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. God the Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's. He makes me tread on, the, on my high places. And this was a song to the choir master with stringed instruments. Though everything else, all the resources should diminish. The joy of the Lord is the strength of the Lord's people. And we're ambassadors of that message to the world. And we're to be clinging to him even when all we can see around us might be raging flames and rising waters. Our trust is to rest in his faithfulness and his steadfast love. Isaiah says in Isaiah 43 verses 1 and 2, But now thus says the Lord, He who created you, O Jacob, he who formed you, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. Excuse me. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned, and the flame shall not consume you. These are the messages that we are called on to bring to the world. They're the things that we know as believers. <coughs> They've been revealed to us by the word of God, and we have a sense of them in our lives. But even the Lord's most faithful ambassadors are flesh and blood, even dust. And it's because of that that we need to constantly be praying for our understanding of these things. In the book of Ephesians, chapter 1, Paul, talking to the people at Ephesus, says that he is constantly praying that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, and what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, <coughs> not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him his head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Beloved, without this constant enlightenment that Paul prays for here for the Ephesians, without a growing understanding of who Christ is and what is ours in Christ, we are in danger of collapsing under those relentless blows 
that keep raining down on us. We're in danger of losing sight of who it is we represent and who it is we serve in this world as believers. Of losing sight of our calling and our purpose and of the source of our strength and our vigor as the ambassadors of Christ. But with this grace at work in our lives, the efforts of the enemy to compromise us and to draw us into fears and doubts, the endeavors of the world to discourage and silence us, the attempts of our own hearts to pull us into idolatry, the worship of men and the worship of fears rather than the worship of God, these will all be just so many glancing blows if we are growing in grace, if we are continuing to, to, to go further into our understanding of who Christ is and what he has done for us and who the God is that we serve. We may still feel the hammer, but because the strikes miss the mark, they fall short of their intended aims. Now sadly, everything that I've said so far can be dismissed as a platitude, a cliche that doesn't really offer much substance in the day-to-day -day life of the Christian. And I say sadly because it's the neglect and the despising of these very things that ends up weakening the believer, the dismissing them as just platitudes. They're not searching them out. They're not seeking to uh, to get an understanding of them. That's what weakens us. Let me put it this way. How do you expect to have that trust in God's grace that will carry you through the darkness of this world if you do not bow your heart and in humility and faith seek for it in prayer? How do you expect to have it? If you don't humble yourself before the Lord and pray for this understanding, pray for this growing grasp of the truth of who God is and what you have in Christ, if you're not on your knees praying for that, how do you expect to have it? Where do you expect it to come from? How do you expect it to fall on you if you're not praying for it? Paul saw the need, beloved, and he saw the urgency of the matter, and that's why he was constantly doing it. For those in Ephesus and those in Thessalonica and the other churches that he ministered to, he was praying and praying that the Lord would open their hearts, that he would give them a thirst and a desire for spiritual things that would make them stronger. And if we don't go, in humility before the Lord, seeking those things in prayer, how do we expect to have them? How do we expect to find them? How do we expect to find that blow of the world, a glancing blow, rather than one that drives us down? If you're not duly convicted of the power of God, the immeasurable greatness of his power toward you who believe according to the working of his great might where will you find the courage 
to be light in the growing darkness? How will you find strength to rejoice in the Lord? Where do you find it from? In that constant series of blows saying, this is the world, this is the world, this is the world. How will you be able to respond to that with a spirit of joy in the Lord if you aren't going to the Lord and asking him to give you that grace of understanding of what that joy is and how it can be found in him? How are you going to draw peace and confidence in the flames and the flood without prayer? For an understanding of the care and the love of the Lord for you in your life. Last week we addressed the fact that you who are in Christ this morning are his chosen ambassadors. The world hasn't invited you. But your Savior and your King has sent you into the world to serve him and to represent him and his kingdom. We reference the irrational spiritual xenophobia that the world suffers from as a result of its rebellion against the Creator and its attempts to intimidate his ambassadors into silence. Like the bullfrog, the world inflates itself to grand proportions in order to impress and to coerce. But like that creature, it's mostly hot air. That's what it is. It blows itself up so that it looks very impressive, but it's just hot air. Adorned with worldly importance and all too often at the instigation of the enemy of all righteousness, men and women are able to threaten and challenge with viciousness and, as we said last week, fear-mongering language. They often appear far more imposing and grander than they are, and that's why we have to keep a sharp focus, a biblical view on who it is we serve and what we're doing here in the world. And we can only keep that focus by prayer and by the study of God's Word. And as we study that word, asking God to help us to see things as they really are and to see him as he really is. We keep our focus by keeping the glory and the honor of the king we serve squarely before our eyes. We do that by looking into the word and praying for the spirit that will apply it effectually to our hearts and our minds. Now look at our text again, Isaiah chapter 9 and verses 6 through 7. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and the peace there will be no end on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Now we've considered him as the one who alone is wonderful. We did that last week. Wonderful in his person, wonderful in his works, wonderful even in his sufferings. 
And he's the one who gives us all good and wise counsel. He is most wise, and he teaches us out of his word the way of wisdom and the way of salvation. John 14, 6, Jesus says simply and profoundly and clearly, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but through me or except through me. He said it clearly. He said it plainly. He tells us the purpose and design of God's work in the past. He helps us to understand the things of the present, and he reveals to us all that we need to know about the future. And our king, says Paul, are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge, and he is indeed wonderful, and he is our counselor. You know, there have been throughout history stories of ambassadors who puffed up with self-importance based on an overblown view of the governments uh, or their sovereigns, the sovereigns they represented, acted comically or, or foolishly. You know, they're the ambassador to pipsqueak land, and uh, they think that they should be able to speak with great uh, power and force because they're the ambassador of this place that really doesn't mean anything. You and I, however, are in more danger of underestimating our king and the power of his kingdom and the influence of his kingdom than ever overestimating those things. We're in danger of coming short. Consider what's next in Isaiah's declaration of the character and being of your king, the one you represent as an ambassador in this world. He is, Isaiah says, mighty God. Mighty God. You're invited here to think of your Savior in the most heroic terms. That's how you should think of him, in the most heroic terms. He possesses a quickness and boundlessness of mind that takes in everything at once. We're used to reacting to situations. And most of what we observe in the world constitutes just that, reaction. That's why you find governments and rulers enacting things that they later have to go back and adjust. They don't have the capacity to understand or to even foresee all the implications of their actions. And they often set in motion unintended difficulties, even when they're trying to heroically rise to solve some problem. It is never so with your king. It is never so with your king. He has in mind all as he acts. All the implications, all the fallout, all of what's going to take place. He is also exquisitely skillful. There's nothing clumsy, nothing awkward about his actions. And they accomplish exactly what is intended. And you think how beautifully that was illustrated in his life on earth as he walked among us right up to the death to his death on the cross 
All of it was accurately, skillfully performed. Our king also possesses, in this heroic state, a powerful boldness. And he has such power and authority that he moves in his providential will without fear or trepidation. Men hear about the things that God says he will do and they help him and say, we can't do that. (laughs) Yes, he can. Yes, he can. And he moves with boldness to do what he pleases. The people of Judea and of Jerusalem, before they were carried off to Babylon, said, no, God can't do that. God cannot carry us off to Babylon. We will not suffer those things. Our kingdom will not come to an end. The Lord just marched right through them and carried out his own holy will. He moves with that kind of boldness. He accomplishes all his holy will. And there is no one, beloved, in heaven or on earth who can safely or successfully resist his will. There's no earthly power more delusional than the one that believes that it's too big to fail, too rich to be hampered in his designs, too powerful to be defeated, that believes that it can with impunity defy the living God and there will be no consequences and there will be nothing to stop them. There is a ruler over all the world who can bring down the mightiest earthly power in countless ways. And your king, beloved, has the track record to prove it. He's done it by great things. He's done it by insignificant, seemingly insignificant things. And they have changed the course of the world. They have brought about his will. If you're looking out over the world in 1517, are you going to pick a German monk of you know, kind of questionable background to turn the world upside down? You're not, but your God is. Because he can do that. He can do whatever he chooses to do. It's the character of his power. He is the mighty God. McCulloch says that as a man of war, he is most conspicuous. You are the ambassadors of the God described in Deuteronomy chapter 10, verses 17, then 20 and 21. For the Lord your God is God of gods and Lord of lords, the great, the mighty, and the awesome God, who is not partial and takes no bribe. You shall fear the Lord your God, you shall serve him and hold fast to him, and by his name you shall swear. He is your praise, he is your God, who has done for you these great and terrifying things that your eyes have seen. This is the God we serve as ambassadors. This is the God who is our God. The Lord your God, beloved, the Lord Jesus Christ does those things that can't be done by the arm of flesh. And one of the greatest examples of that is you. He changed you. It's true that he made the world and all things in it. But that's only the beginning of his power. 
When we say that he's able to do exceedingly abundantly above all we can think or ask, it's not just in regard to things like dividing the Red Sea. It goes far and wide beyond that. And it takes in his ability to do whatever he pleases in heaven and in earth and in the seen and the unseen world. He's able to take a heart of stone and make it a heart of flesh. Jeremiah hints at this power of your king when he says this in Jeremiah 32 in verses 17 through 18. Ah, Lord God, it is you who have made the heavens and the earth by your great power and by your outstretched arm. Nothing is too hard for you. So there he talks about bringing the world out of nothing and his power in the creation. But then he goes on to say, you show steadfast love to thousands, but you repay the guilt of fathers to their children after them. O great and mighty God, whose name is the Lord of hosts. And he goes from the world and the things that are tangible to things that are intangible and says that you forgive and show steadfast love to thousands in all kinds of circumstances, and you also hold men accountable for their sin. This prayer begins with an acknowledging, says Loth, of God's infinite power, which is made manifest both in the works of creation and providence, whereby he shows himself wonderful in his mercies and terrible in his judgments. But it's Paul, beloved, who kind of draws this together, uh, the, the ties Christ's place as the mighty God so beautifully into our ambassadorship. And he does it in Philippians chapter 3, beginning in verse 20. He says there, our citizenship is in heaven. Or if you're in Christ this morning, your citizenship is in heaven. And from it, we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. It's in that last phrase that you want to see the character of your mighty God. He is able to subject all things to himself. What that means is that there is nothing outside of his power and authority. There's a lot that can be said about these verses, but um, I want to stay on point. You can have every expectation that what is promised to you in Christ will be delivered. And that's because nothing is beyond the reach of his divine omnipotence. He is the mighty God, and he has power to make all things, whatever they may be, subject to himself and his will. And the question comes, is that what you believe? Is this who you are representing? Is this the ambassadorship that you have embraced? One that represents this Savior who is able to subject all things to his will, to his power. You see, it's not just a platitude. It's a reality. 
This is either true or it's not. This is either a part of what you believe or it's not a part of what you believe. And if you believe it, it cannot help but impact the way you represent him in the world. The way you refer to him in the world. The way you speak of him to others. Is he the one as the mighty God who is able to subject all things to his will and to his power or is he not? And if he is, how should he be represented by those who believe that and know that and have found it true in their own hearts and lives? We have to press on because your Savior, your King, is also the everlasting Father. He is eternal in himself and he is the author and the bestower of eternal life, as Alexander puts it. This reality deserves really your most careful attention and consideration. You're representing here on earth the one who was, who is, and who will ever and always be who he is as God. How, beloved, are you equipped for that service? How are you going to represent this one who was, who is, and will ever be who he is as God. You can see, I think, just how having the right perspective of all changes the whole picture here. Now, it's hard to express this, and I hope I can get it across, and I pray the Lord will, will help me to. But we worry about convincing men and women about the reality of God and the wonders of his grace. And we're constantly thinking, how can I do that? How can I present to those who don't know God the wonders of who God is and, and, and the character of the grace of God through the Lord Jesus Christ? But ought we not also to be concerned with this awesome and glorious Savior making himself known to men and women? Working in dark and rebellious hearts to make himself known? Is it not, Bob, an awesome thing that this mighty God, the everlasting Father, has chosen to make himself known to you? Do you, do, do, you, do you have a grasp of the wonder of that? Here he is in his glory as God. With all that attends him in, in the beauty and the power and the wonder of who he is. And he has condescended to let you know about it. To let you understand it. To let you believe it. And yes, it's, a, it's something that we need to be praying about. The hearts of men will, will open and, and they'll turn to and see the glory of who God is. But there's an aspect of that prayer where we're asking, Almighty, oh, everlasting God, make yourself known to 
this child of mine. Make yourself known to this little one that I love. Help him to know who you are and the glory of, of who you are as Redeemer and Savior and as God. Open her heart. Open his heart. Let them see who and what you are. Who am I to understand these things? Who are our neighbors? Who are our friends? Who are these people living in darkness and wickedness? To know who this glorious God is. And it's a matter of his grace and his love that he has chosen to make himself known to men and to women rebellious men and women there's no life beloved outside of him and his will and he has chosen to bring the light of life to those who hate him you see the wonder of that In the beginning, John says in John 1, 1, was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. The King you serve, beloved, is eternal. It's a concept that's difficult for us to grasp with our finite minds. But it translates for us into a confidence that allows us to speak with a sense of surety. I'm not concerned about the God I'm representing to you this morning because the God I'm representing to you this morning is the God he has ever been, the God he is now, and the God he will ever be. I'm not worried about presenting to you the Lord Jesus Christ because I know he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. The message of salvation that went out in the beginning is the message of salvation today, which will be the message of salvation to the end. It isn't going to change. It's not going to be different. There's not going to be another way. And that gives me confidence and boldness as I declare him as the light of life. He was our father from eternity. Before we were children, says Thomas Watson. God our father... And he will be our father to eternity. A father provides for his child while he lives. But the father dies. And then the child may be exposed to injury. But God never ceases to be a father. You who are a believer have a father that never dies. And if God be your father, you can never be undone. All things must needs work for your good. For by him all things were created, says Paul in Colossians 1.16. In heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. So here's this thing that has come to you through the Lord Jesus Christ. An understanding that this thing we call life is a gift from God. And could not exist without him. But it goes beyond that, doesn't it? Because you found new life in Christ Jesus. And are alive now as never before. You are alive and will never die. 
This is the will of my Father, said Jesus in John 6.40, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. You are ambassadors of that message because that message is your is the truth concerning you. All around you are people who are afraid to die. You realize that? All around you are people who are afraid to die. They may boast that they're not, but their behavior says otherwise, especially over the last two years. Doesn't it? Everyone's afraid to die. It's driving much of what we see underneath. And you possess the message that promises life. And what are you doing with it? As ambassadors of the message of life in this world, where all around you are people who are afraid to die. In 1 John 5, John says, and this is the testimony that God gave us, eternal life, and this life is in his Son. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. And in Hebrews 5.9 it says, In being made perfect, he that is Christ became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him. The world, beloved, is filled with ambassadors of death. They arise from within and they appear at every corner dressed in their robes of state. They promise joy, they promise satisfaction, they promise pleasure, profit now. But on their very breath is the stench of death. Like the scribes and the Pharisees of old, they travel across sea and land to make a single proselyte. And when he becomes a proselyte, they make him twice as much a child of hell as they themselves are by nature. The Apostle Paul warns of the growing difficulty, saying, But understand this in 2 Timothy 3.1. In the last days there will come times of difficulty. For people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness but denying its power. Avoid such people. And then Paul immediately describes those people as ambassadors of ruin, who building on ignorance and unbridled passion lead men and women astray. And where are the counter-ambassadors? The ambassadors of light and life? Well, right here. That's you. We are those who sing, Christ the Blessed One gives to all wonderful words of life. Sinner, listen to the loving call. Wonderful words of life. All so freely given wooing us to heaven. Beautiful words, wonderful words, wonderful words of life. He's also, of course, the Prince of Peace, and our time is running out here quickly. 
But I would just ask you to consider him for a moment as the great peacemaker. The king you serve and represent in this world is the only hope for peace between God and any sinner. He is the only one who can bring peace to the troubled soul. But it goes beyond that. He's the only one who can bring peace between men and nations. If you just consider this in reverse order quickly, when we hear of the world in turmoil and nation threatening nation, the natural inclination is to seek allies and to raise an army and make noise. But anyone with a realistic view of war and the death and sorrow that it brings, even when legitimately undertaken, knows to pray for peace. To pray for peace. When the prophet Micah spoke of the days when Assyrians would overrun Israel, he declared that even in a time of oppression and sorrow, it would be the Lord himself who would be their peace. Saying, when the Assyrian comes into our land and treads our palaces, the Lord himself will be our peace. There are those who would like us to believe that we as a nation are hopelessly divided. And there are those who keep trying to drive issues between us to fracture and to divide us. There's only one who can prevent those things from getting traction and destroying our peace. It's the Prince of Peace. And there's one bond of unity that when maintained by grace is unassailable. And it's given by Christ and it's born of the Spirit. Paul told the Ephesians in Ephesians 4, 1, 6, I therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There's one body and one spirit, just as you are called to one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, one Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. And then there's the most important peace of all, and that is peace with God. Rendered enemies by our sin and our fallen nature, Jesus Christ is our only hope of peace with God, the only hope of peace for our conscience. In Ephesians 2, verse 14, Paul says, For he himself is our peace, who made us both one and has broken down his flesh, the dividing wall of hostility, by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances, that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who are far off, and peace to those who were near. Again, beloved, all around us are those who are representing ideas and practices that will only lead to more enmity and turmoil. Where are the ambassadors of peace? They're right here. They're you and me. Jesus said in all that he said to his disciples, I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace in the world. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. And that's the one we represent as ambassadors. 
Now this passage says that the reign of the king shall be progressive and perpetual because it's founded in justice and it's secured by the distinguishing favor of Jehovah, Alexander says. We enter into this ambassadorship in that spirit. This is a progressive thing. We hear about uh, progressive politics and progressive thinking. Well, we have a progressive politics and a progressive thinking. And it rests in the Lord Jesus Christ and the progress of his kingdom in this world. If we're looking to find true blessedness, we find it in the government of the Lord Jesus Christ. If there's anyone here who is struggling under turmoil and agitation, we would call you to look upon the mighty God, the everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace, and find that peace which passes understanding through faith in the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. And to all of you who are in Christ, this is our ambassadorship. To go out into this world and to point men to look upon the wonderful, the counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace, and to find there comfort and consolation and peace for their troubled hearts and souls, salvation from sin, and peace and rest in a world filled with turmoil. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we ask you to bless this contemplation of our Savior to our hearts this morning. Lord, in choosing us, you have chosen strange ambassadors. But Lord, we pray that you would not allow us to shy from our calling. But rather, Lord, you would make us faithful witnesses who will testify to the wonderfulness of our Savior, the wisdom of his word, the might of his power, the life that he gives, and the peace that he brings. Equip us, Father. Strengthen us, Lord. Embolden us, Lord. And let us with joy represent the king we serve. Forgive us where we come short. Forgive us for his sake. But Lord, increase in our hearts our understanding of who he is, who you are, so that we may serve you better. We plead for these things. We ask for them. We give thanks for them. In the precious name of Jesus Christ. Amen. If you would stand with me once more and open to hymn number 316, The Mighty God, the Lord. <laughs> 